0: Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is Series 2, Episode 267 of this Daily Study Podcast. Thank you once again for joining us as we continue with our study of the words of Christ in September 21st to September 27th, covered in 3rd Nephi 12-16, I am the law and the light. And today we continue with the section titled, The the Saviour's Teaching Show Me How to Be a True Disciple. There is two absolutely brilliant things I want to share with you in particular today. But let's begin uh, with 3 Nephi 12, 19, where the Saviour talks about how he has given them the law and the commandments and that if they should believe in him and repent of their sins and come unto him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, then the law will be fulfilled. And I thought that was interesting because we often hear about how the law was done away with and that the law of Moses was you know, removed and not required anymore. And to his point, that is obviously true. You know, certainly there were no burnt offerings and sacrifices on altars anymore. Uh, There weren't that whole list of very specific individual things that had been developed by the Pharisees that had to be kept, uh, you know, and everything like that. But the law did continue. It was just renewed and and sanctified almost just like we are uh, through Christ. Uh, President Russell M. Nelson said, the doctrine, quote, the doctrine of repentance is as old as the gospel itself. Biblical teachings from the books of Genesis to Revelation teach repentance. Lessons from Jesus Christ during his mortal ministry include these warnings The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. References to, re- to repentance are even more frequent in the Book of Mormon. To the people of ancient America, the Lord gave this commandment Again I say unto you, you must repent and be baptized in my name and become as little as a little child, or ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. The law is in place, the law is there to bless us. But of course, now it is the law of Christ, and it is through him and through his atonement and through having faith in him and repenting on his name. And uh, then being baptised and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and continually renewing those covenants through the sacrament, we begin to have this renewal in our lives. Uh, it is a great blessing to know that our Saviour has done that for us. Now, let's. I want to take a pause here and just have a look at a, a specific section of what the Saviour teaches. This um, this kind of study and this uh, idea was first discovered by uh, Jack, uh, John W. Welch, I believe, uh, and I was listening to um, the Interpreter podcast, uh, and it outlined this, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Obviously, this sermon that the Savior gives to the Nephites can be focused on as key things that uh, a, a true disciple needs to follow. But when you think about where he is when he when he teaches this, he is obviously at the temple, and when and then when you look at the sequence of things that he teaches. It's, it's a bit mind-blowing, actually, what he is doing here. So if I, if we just rewind a little bit uh, to, you know, well, actually not rewind at all. In fact, we're actually where we need to be. In verse 20, the Saviour has just taught about how they needed to come with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So the people needed to be repentant and changed uh, to be able to go to this next thing that he teaches. Then he says, Therefore come unto me and be ye saved, for verily I say unto you, that except ye shall keep my commandments, which I have commanded you at this time, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's just remember, so those of us that have been to the temple, let's remember he's just been, he's teaching at the temple, and the first thing that he's taught is the law of obedience. He is taught about commandments, he's taught about sacrifice, and how we need to sacrifice a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So he's taught about obedience and sacrifice. Then he goes forward and he starts to teach about specific elements of his gospel, specific commandments, uh, specific parts of the gospel which we need to keep and follow, any practice that we need to remove from our lives, such as in verse 21, not killing, uh, but and then in verse 22, just being angry with uh, your brother. Uh, also, he talks about um, be, like being a peacekeeper, uh, agreeing with your adversary, um, and, you know, many other practices, unholy practices that we might need to remove from our lives to be a true disciple. Um, you can probably see where I'm going with this now. The next thing he teaches in this sequence, after obedience and and, command, and the commandments uh, and sacrifice, and then, you know, the law of the gospel and specific things that we need to make sure we remove from our lives, he then talks about adultery. Uh, and how um, we shouldn't commit adultery, even looking on a woman to lust after her. Um, so he talks about that, and specific things to do with um, you know, sexual relations and adultery and divorcement and all these other things to do with um, building a, a, a romantic relationship in this life. Uh, and then uh, he talks about um, forswearing oaths to the Lord um and then later on further down he starts to talk about how um, we need to in fact I'm just here we go um, he talks about how we need to not worry about the the material things in life but we need to uh, consecrate those to the Lord he talks about when making these promises that um, we just simply say yeah yeah, or nay nay um, which I think is interesting, and then um, yeah, so this idea of consecrating ourselves, and that you know we we bless all around us, and that we we seek to become perfect, um, you know, through through the consecration that we live, uh, which of course um, links to verse forty eight, which I'll talk about in a minute as well. And then if you carry on to the, to chapter thirteen, uh, he starts teaching about prayer and about how we are meant to pray, uh, you know. And I don't know, obviously, like those that have been to the temple will see, you know, kind of where I've gone with that. But um, it is fascinating just to see that and just see, whoa, hang on. Like the saviour is teaching at at the temple. He is teaching the the covenants and the commandments and the things that we learn at the temple. Uh, And I think that that was a particularly eye opening moment for me as I was studying this. Speaking again about um, being angry with your brother it uh, it's probably well known that there is a slight change in the Book of Mormon text than there is in the New Testament. Um, in the Book of Mormon, he says, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment. Now, in the New Testament, it says that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Uh, but uh, John W. Welch uh, put, picks out why actually this may not be in this text. He says, quote, in a well-known passage in the Sermon on the Mount, the King James translation of Matthew five twenty-two reads, "Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the d- judgment." Yet the phrase "without a cause" is absent in the in the most of the best and earliest Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Joseph Smith could hardly have guessed that this phrase did not originally belong in this passage because textual criticism of the Bible was scarcely in its infancy in America in 1829, and yet, significantly, the parallel text in the Sermon at the Temple in the Book of Mormon agrees with those early manuscripts, precisely lacking the phrase without a cause. Close quote. So it seems that, yes, whilst the King James translation version... Um, the King James Version that uh, the Prophet Joseph Smith will have been reading in his youth at the time of translating the Book of Mormon did have the phrase without a cause. It seems that the earliest Greek manuscripts of the New Testament didn't have that phrase, something which, of course, the Prophet Joseph Smith couldn't have physically known himself. Uh, and yet that, that phrase is absent in this text. Once again, the Book of Mormon is true. Uh, it is a it is a record um, that is has been translated by the gift and power of God. Finally I'm going to try and do this justice in the last minute or so. In verse 38 we read about this phrase "Therefore I would either ye should be perfect even as I or your father who is in heaven is perfect um, There's a great no why number 333 called does it what does it mean to be perfect? I'll, I'll share that on the uh, Facebook group but um, we know of course that the phrase perfect in this context in the Greek word means finished or complete instead of meaning without mistake. Um we also know that the word perfect can also be connected to covenants. We see it in the Old Testament in, Do- in Deuteronomy 18, 13, it says thou shalt be perfect with the Lord. Um, so that was important. Also, again, uh, in Joshua 24, 14, uh, it says, Fear the Lord and serve him sin- in sincerity or completely and in truth and put away the gods which your father served in Egypt. Uh, In this case, again, the phrase perfectly could have been used in the same word in in the ancient text. Uh, Also in Psalms, blessed are the undefiled or perfect that seek him with the whole heart. So throughout the scriptures, not just in this, you know, part in the Sermon on the Mount and Sermon at the Temple, the word perfect or being perfect is used. But again, in all those cases, it was used in a sense of being, you know, complete or in covenant with um, the Lord. Uh, And that is, you know, what may be being taught here, that we need to be uh, perfect, as in we need to be complete. We need to be connected. We need to be part of a whole with Christ. Um, And then we'll be perfect because we are with him. Um, Of course, it may well be that he is asking us to be perfect. But again, um, because, you know, it's interesting to notice the difference in wording between the, Old, the New Testament and the Book of Mormon version. In the New Testament, before the Saviour had been resurrected and ascended to his Father, he said, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father who, in heaven who is perfect. Whereas now he is saying, he's making the insinuation that he is perfect. And so clearly there is a difference here, and that is to do with the fact that he has been resurrected, he has res, um, ascended to his Father. And we will all have that opportunity to go through that process in 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 one you know in a in a long time, but in a beautiful day when that will happen. So it isn't unattainable. He is asking us to simply follow him, be in covenant with him, follow him, and also look forward to that day when we will be put, literally perfected in Christ, when we are resurrected and ascended to the Father as we follow him and follow his gospel. Thank you very much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please, do, and we've gone way over, but please do uh, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. You can uh, share that. That'd be wonderful. Uh, you can also join the Facebook group, Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me, uh, if you're interested in uh, joining the discussion on there. And thank you uh, again for listening. Please do email Session at gmail.com if you have any feedback. And I'd love to hear from anyone uh, who would like to join in a future podcast episode as well. Thank you for your time and until we meet again.